17. And um, we had a great time last night. And uh, I quickly <laughs> went back to sleep and got up early in the morning and here we are. You know, as, as the title shows here, I think, and I'm going to present to you this morning the best New Year's resolution. Now, you might be curious what might, what might that be, but let's talk through that one as to the best New Year's resolution that we might be able to make in 2017. So what I would like you to do is to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And if you are using the blue Bible, it's found on page 1,249. That's the Bible provided by the church. We call the blue Bible and Philippians chapter 3. Let me read it for you, and then we'll begin the sermon. Beginning in verse 4, I'm going to begin in the middle of verse 4. Start with the complete sentence there. Philippians chapter 3. In the middle of verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now from verse 8 through 11, it's just one sentence in the Greek New Testament. So people kind of struggle to break it down into smaller and smaller sentences. And you will see many different translations, you know, doing many different things. So verses 8 through 11, imagine it's one sentence with commas and semicolons and things of that, that, that kind in the original Greek language of the New Testament. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. By the way, as the Apostle Paul writes these New Testament books, sometimes he bursts into joy, and he cannot stop himself. So he would put commas and semicolons, and, and these sentences go on and on and on and on, and this is one of the instances that was happening. Verse 12. Now that I have already, not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Hopefully as I was reading that passage, you know, you're trying to figure out exactly what the best resolution, New Year's resolution might be. But keep thinking, and I'll unpack that for you. So let me begin with the story. This is a true story. When the Communist Party took over China, they kicked out all the Christian missionaries from that land. And the way that they did it, actually, they went from home to home. They knew who the missionaries were. So they went from home to home and told them that they have this much time left to pack up and be ready, and they will, the, the soldiers would come and then escort them to the airport and send them away wherever they came from. So this missionary family were there, and the soldiers came in a few days after the communists took over and told them that you have two hours to pack anything worth 200 pounds. And then we'll come back and escort you out to the airport and send you to wherever that you came from. So the family began to look at all the things that they had and they were, they were kind of, you know, fighting with one another. You know, one person said, oh, we have, we have to take this waste that we have. You know, it was given from generation to generation. This is the fourth generation that the waste had been passed on and therefore we have to take this. And then somebody else said, well, you know, we have a new typewriter. It's brand new. We cannot leave this and go, so we have to take this. And another member of the family said, well, you know, I have some books. These are very important. And I have to take these. And so they were fighting with one another, and then they will take one thing and then run down to the restroom and put it on the scale. And, you know, this has been going on for roughly about two hours because that's all the time that they had. And in two hours, they were done packing. And on the dot, they had 200 pounds of things to take with them. So there was a knock on the door, and the soldiers had come back. And so they asked the family, are you ready? And the missionary family, in so, you know, so much happiness and so you know, joy, said, yeah, we are. Did you weigh your stuff? The soldiers asked. Yes, we did, said the missionary family. 200 pounds, said the soldiers. Yeah, 200 pounds on the dot said the missionary family. So this, one of the soldiers turned around and asked, did you weigh your kids? What? Weigh your kids? No, no, we haven't done that. In an instant, the waist, 
the typewriter and the books became trash. These meant nothing compared to the surpassing worth of their children. And in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, the Apostle Paul says something very, very similar. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For the Apostle Paul, everything else is trash, rubbish, worthless, compared to knowing Christ. Is it for you? Is it for me? Everything else is trash, rubbish, compared to knowing Christ. For example, in verse 7 he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Then in verses 8 and 9 he, he writes, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Then in verse 9, again, translations differ because you have to break down this long sentence and put in small sentences. And I have chosen the NIV translation, which I like the most. And here we read the Apostle Paul saying, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And there's a resolution for us to consider. So on this first day of year 2017, as you consider making New Year's resolutions, I want to present to me as well as to all of us here, knowing Christ as the best New Year's resolution that you and I could ever make. So in the sermon this morning, what I want to do is to present four things the Apostle Paul did to make knowing Christ as his priority. And my hope is to apply some of those principles that we learn in our own lives as we venture into year 2017. So the invitation is really to make knowing Christ as the resolution for year 2017. Now the first thing that I, the Apostle Paul says here is actually, if you read through those verses that I read to you, you will pick up this idea that everything, in order, to, in order for us to make knowing Christ the resolution or the top priority, everything else must become secondary. You see, in life there are so many things we can pursue and perhaps even find pleasure and satisfaction in them. For example, the Apostle Paul had the option to become one of the strongest advocates of Judaism. 
in his time. For example, in verses 4 through 7, we read this. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now let me unpack that for you. In his time, Apostle Paul was one of the well-respected Jews. Elsewhere in the Bible that he says that he studied under Gamaliel, one of the best rabbis at the time. He was named in the Bible. He knew his theology and traditions and had become a scholar in advancing it. In fact, we read about in Galatians chapter 1 verse 14, he says, I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. That's the best scholar speaking. Being exceedingly zealous of the doctrines of my fathers. One of the best and the brightest there was during his time. He knew the law of Moses inside and out. He followed it to the T because he says blameless under the law. Some believe he served on the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of the Jewish people at a young age. It has an age limit of 30. He probably got in at the age of 30 and served in the Sanhedrin for many years until he met Jesus. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of King Saul, the very first king of Israel. He names that there. In fact, he was named after King Saul before he changed his name to Paul. He was a strong and well-respected leader. So much so, he oversaw the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr at the time. He was the person in charge of the stoning. He was so passionate about advancing Judaism, so he sought to, sought to destroy whatever that stood in the way, whatever he thought was heresy at the time. This included the Christians and the church. In fact, he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Not only that, the Sanhedrin gave him permission. And that's how famous the Apostle Paul was before he became a Christian. Then he met Jesus. And all of those things that I, I told you about became secondary compared to knowing Christ as his Lord. In fact, he considered all of these things that I told you about rubbish, garbage, litter. In fact, the Greek word actually means excrement of animals, filthy detestable, worthless, that might be rejected and thrown out. That's what happened. He was no longer serving in Sanhedrin. 
he was no longer destroying the church. And his theology changed. And everything was interpreted based on who Christ was. So let's talk about ourselves. How do we make everything else secondary? As we pursue knowing Christ in year 2017. You know, if you, if you look at our lives, I looked at my life. I wake, wake up early in the morning. Perhaps some of you might have still kids at home, so you might drop off kids at school. Some of you might go to work and put in a full day's work, minimum eight hours, but these days it's much more than, la more than that. Then you come home exhausted, but there are more things to do when you come home. Perhaps help kids with their homework, catch up with your spouse, and whatever else that's there to do after a long day of work. Perhaps there are career advancements to pursue. Because we cannot be stuck in one place. Then usually you're out the door, right? So none of these are wrong. But in this busy schedule, how do we find time to know Christ? That's the question. And let me put up a quote from a person, a pastor's wife, by the name Joanna Weaver. He wrote a book by the title, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World, referring to Mary and Martha. You know, Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's home, and Martha was busy in the kitchen, cooking and getting ready for you know, food for all the people who, who were there at her home, and then Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. And so that's basically where the title is coming from, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha's World, Finding Intimacy with God in the Business of Life. And here's what she says. When we put work worship, when we put work before worship, we put the cart before the horse. The cart is important. So is the horse. But the horse must come first, or we end up pulling the cart ourselves. When we first spend time in his presence, when we take time to hear his voice, God provides the horsepower we need to pull the heaviest load. He settles up grace and invites us to take a ride. That's what it's all about. I'm not saying that, you know, all of the things that I mentioned to you about, you know, waking up early in the morning, taking the kids and going to work and pursuing career advancements and coming back home and, uh, you know, tired and exhausted and helping kids in our, their homework and whatever, they're all important. But spending time in his presence, pursuing Christ to the fullest, must become a priority. Otherwise, we will be pulling all of these things ourselves and not by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by his grace. So that's the first point. The second that I see in Paul, what Paul is saying is this. Be of the mindset. There's always more to know about Christ. Be of the mindset. There's always more to know about Christ. 
You see, having said in verses 10 and 11 that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead, Paul says the following in verses 12 through 16. And if you look at your Bible, the verses 12 through 16, here's what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or am I, I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Specifically focus on two phrases there in verses 12 and 15. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but press on. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, you know, at, at the time of this writing, the apostle Paul had followed Jesus for nearly 30 years. And he was an apostle who had revelations of God. Who was an apostle, God entrusted his truth to him. He was the apostle who wrote most of the New Testament. And he comes and says, there's more to know about Christ yet after 30 years of following Christ. You know, as I thought about this, I said, I said to myself, I came up with two reasons why Paul may have said this. The first is this. You see, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, Jesus is God, who is infinite and incomprehensible by finite human beings. So there's always more to know about Christ. And second, in biblical language, this word know means intimate knowledge. Similar to how a husband and wife would know one another. It's not head knowledge, it's intimate knowledge. And the closest example that we could come up with is actually how a husband and wife would know one another. So let me give you some examples. Jim and I have been married for 20 years, 28 years now. And we are still getting to know one another. There's always more to know. Those of you who are married, you will know this. But here are some things that she is uniquely qualified to express. Because she knows me. When I go home from work, She's always looking to see my facial expression as I enter the home. And just based on that, she would know something good happened at work or something troubling that happened at work. And she would always ask me, your face is not right. What happened? Not many people can do that to me personally. Here's another one. 
we might be in con- uh, boy, I, I, this is going to get me into trouble. So <laughs> previously, I, I, I shared another illustration that, and that nobody has given up on that one. So I'm going to share this one as well. For example, I might be part of a conversation. You would know it. I would be watching you. I would be, you know, all of that. My mind is elsewhere. Has it happened to you? I, I mean, you, you, would, you wouldn't figure this out. Because I'm watching you. And you would say, okay, David is listening. But my mind has disappeared. It's, it's elsewhere. She knows when that happens. <laughs> I mean, she would call me on it. What are you thinking? Where are you? What's in your mind? That's knowing somebody. This is after 28 years. Here are other things. You know, sometimes I would start something and she would finish it. Right? In other words, I would start to say something and she would finish it. And vice versa. And then there are other times she would read my mind. So she would do it before I even ask. That's knowing. That's the, that's the biblical image of the word know. So let me ask this question. I, I mean, I'm asking myself as I was preparing this sermon. Do I know Christ this way? Do, I, do you know Christ this way? Do you know when Christ speaks to you? So, you know, the apostle, when the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ, he was saying, I want to know him intimately, discern his voice accurately, understand his message correctly, and obey his instructions fully and completely. That's what it means. And so, if you desire that kind of intimate relationship with Christ in the coming year, in this new year, then it has to become a priority. That means everything else is secondary. And we need to be of the mindset, there's always more to know about Christ. By the way, you know, one of the things that I'm ser- I, I have been thinking seriously about the past several months is actually discerning the voice of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit speaks, and I know. Holy Spirit directs, and I do it. And that takes work. That takes time. And that takes a level of intimacy. Now the third thing that I learned about knowing Christ is this. Forget past shortcomings. And look to the potential that lies ahead. You know, I have had conversations with people. I mean, some of you, when I, when I talk about New Year's resolution, I mean, you're horrified. You know, you have tried that in the past and you have failed and you have given up and you know, after a month or 30 days or 20 days or 6 months or whatever else, you don't want to even hear the word New Year's Resolution. Right? But 
Look to verses 13 and 14. And the apostle Paul says, forget the past. Forget all those shortcomings, failures, whatever that might be. Look to the potential that lies ahead. Verse 13, I'm going to begin the middle there. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ. You see, when Apostle Paul wrote these words, he was thinking of many of his shortcomings in the past. I'm going to read some things from you in the book of Acts, one of the New Testament books, chapter 26, verses 10 and 11. And here's what he says. I mean, he was thinking about all of these as he wrote those. These are all shortcomings since he came to know Christ. And he says, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Then here in Galatians chapter 1 verse 13 he writes, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now that sounds like a modern day Islamic terrorist, doesn't it? In other words, you know, he, he held a stone, I guess, in, the, in those days. I don't know if he had a knife or not, but he had equipment, weapons, and he held them against people's heads or neck or whatever else and said, deny Christ, is what he said. I, I, I tried to make them blaspheme. What comes to your mind? I mean, when ISIS captured some of these uh, you know, Christians, and they put them orange suits and, and had them kneel down and then, you know, cut everyone's throat. That was Paul. I mean, he uses, carefully uses his word. I persecuted the church of God violently. Not softly. Violently. And so, can, I mean, then he was responsible for stoning to death. Stephen, and many more, I'm, I'm sure. That was the only one that we, we see in the Bible. But I'm sure there were many more. And not only that, he says, you know, he went even to foreign countries, not just Jerusalem or Judea, but he went to other countries and did this thing. But now, after Christ, he says this, straining toward what lies ahead, Forgetting the past, but straining toward what lies ahead and pressing on toward the goal for the price of the outward call of God in Christ. You see, there, there are two words there that are important in that, in that particular sentence that I read to you. Straining and pressing on. What Apostle Paul had in mind was an image of a marathon runner. Straining toward the finish line to win the prize. That's what he had in mind. You see, if, if, if he had ever looked at a marathon runner, 5K, 10K, 15K, or 26K, whatever that might be, you know, at the, at the, the, the 
finish line is coming up, but there's no energy left. But the marathon runner refuses to give up. His muscles are hurting, hurting like crazy. But he intensely focused on taking one step at a time. In fact, that you know, step by step, one step at a time is captured in that word, straining or pressing on. Here's another one. The Greek word that's translated pressing on is, is actually means persecuting or harassing. That means you persecute yourself, you harass yourself to finish this race. That's what marathon runners are doing. I mean, they, they have no energy left. Muscles are aching, having difficulty breathing, but they are persecuting themselves. They are harassing themselves to finish the race and win the prize. And that's what Apostle Paul is calling for us to do. If you really, really want to know Christ intimately. So, if you have made previous New Year's resolutions and it started, did it for a day or two, and then gave up, or went for six months and gave up, went for three months and gave up, whatever the case might be, forget that. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Forget what happened in the past. Remember the quote that I gave you from Joanna Weaver. It's work and worship. Don't put the cart before the horse. And here, uh, you know, I came up with about four or five different reasons why these New Year's resolutions fail. So let me see if you, if you identify with some of those. The first reason that New Year's resolutions fail is unrealistic expectations. In other words, we, see, you know, we set this lofty goal, okay, I want to finish reading the Bible in one year in 2017. But if you're a person who had never read the Bible, I mean, there's no chance that would happen. That's an unrealistic expectation. Instead, to be able to say, okay, I'm going to maybe read one New Testament book this year. Or I'm going to read just the four Gospels this year. That might be much more realistic than setting up an unrealistic goal of, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. The second reason the New Year's resolutions fail is lack of specificity. So let me give a quote here from a friend of mine, Ajit Fernando, who has written a book called Spiritual Living in a Secular World. And here's what he says about specificity. It is not enough for a busy executive to say, I will have regular devotional life. Instead, he or she needs to be more specific than that. He or she need, may need to say something like, I will have my devotions in the morning before I leave for work, and therefore I will get up at 6 a.m., on each weekday. So, if you say, that, you know, you want to, you know, pray, I'm going to pray, every day I want to pray, that's not good enough to be able to say, 
in order to pray, I'm going to wake up at such, if you're a morning person or evening, but let's talk about the morning people. So I want to wake up at six o'clock. From six to seven, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to get to the bathroom and get into the shower and do, you know, all of the other things and get to work. And even that is not enough because that has established time. Now I'm going to pray. Pray about what? Well, I'm going to generate a prayer list. Okay? What should be in the prayer list? That's how specific these kinds of goals need to get. Otherwise, these kinds of resolutions actually fail. So unrealistic expectations, lack of specificity. Here are two more. Third one is actually knowing the what, but not the why. And let me give you the fourth one also and then come back and explain. Knowing the what, not the why. And the fourth one is treating it as a sprint, not as a marathon, which we have looked at already. Right? So the verse that I want to go back to is actually Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where the Apostle Paul says, Straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ. Do you see the what and the why there? The what is pressing on. And I explained to you the word. You know, it's, it's about straining. It's taking one step at a time. It is persecuting yourself and harassing yourself. You know, whatever else that you do. And so he has clearly explained the what. I'm going to press on. And the why is, why, why, why does he want to do this? To win the price of God in Christ. There it is. So if I want to pray, if I, if I said to myself, I want to pray. Okay, that's a what. We talked about the uh, details that needed to be there. Why? Is it to have answered prayers? Is it because I have a wish list? Is it because I want God to be glorified? Is it because I want to get closer to God? All of those things needed to be taught through as we make New Year's resolutions. And the fifth reason that I came up with was lack of role models, support, and accountability. And that leads to my fourth point. Learn from others who are doing this well. Learn from others who are doing this well. I find that in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We don't have Apostle Paul to look, except for his writing. But there are others among us who are doing this well. You know this, keep your eyes on, is one Greek word, not multiple ones as we have here. Here we have keep your eyes on, so that's four. It's one Greek word. The image that, that's, that's behind that Greek word is actually reading a book. What do we do when we read a book? We mark it up. We underline. We use color coding. Why do we do all of that? In order to listen. In order to understand. In order to think. In order to think and then apply. Sometimes in order to ask additional questions. So that we would understand what, what the author is saying even better. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. So, you know, in other words, okay, learn from others 
who are doing this well means observe them. Observe them for a long time. Ask questions of them. Contemplate what they are saying. Go back to them. Because sometimes we go back to the book again, right? To reread because, you know, the impact has been so great that we want to go back. That's what the Apostle Paul has in mind when he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Brothers and sisters at Midland Free, that's what I want to offer to us this morning as we begin this new year. Would you consider pursuing Christ, knowing Christ, knowing him intimately as a husband and wife would know one another? Would you put that as a priority in 2017? That yes, you're walking with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit so closely that when the Holy Spirit speaks, you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. When the Holy Spirit directs, you know the Holy Spirit is directing you and therefore you are able to do that without any, obey it without any fear whatsoever. And again, it is about taking a step at a time. So you are not going to be Apostle Paul tomorrow. I'm not going to be Apostle Paul tomorrow who had revelations. But it's about taking the next step, the next step, and the next step. In the coming weeks, you will hear the things that we are offering to help you along the way. And those are some of those. Again, you, know, you may or may, may not choose to pursue them. But my challenge for all of us is to make a commitment to pursue Christ in this new year. That's probably the best New Year's resol- resolution that you and I could ever make in this life.